Good morning, this is Expat on Tilas Radio 90.3, or rather the show formerly known as Expat, new title TBD. And my guest this morning is uh, Justin Spike, the first person I recruited off Twitter. So I'm, I'm actually glad a real person showed up, but uh, he was verified, so I was kind of easy with it. Um, hi, how's it going? Good, thanks for having me on. Yeah, great. Um, so you are a... Uh, before before anything else we have to we have to uh <laughs> this the um, declare that you're a journalist for the uh, associated press um i guess you're covering mainly this country and the neighboring countries or how does that work with you guys uh, i mostly cover hungary i'm the hungary correspondent based in budapest um but i have a lot of great colleagues all over the region and all over europe and all over the world for that matter so we collaborate on a lot of things which which uh, sort of tie our countries together. So I'm working often with colleagues in Brussels and in Warsaw and, and uh, Belgrade and elsewhere if there's stories which kind of uh, run a thread through numerous countries. And how long have you been working in the region or this country? 
I've been in Hungary since 2010, but I've been working in journalism here since about 2015, and I've been with the AP since 2020, right in the middle of COVID, I, I joined them. All right. And how does one get recruited to the to the Associated Press? I guess there's no like, uh, you know, ads flying around like, uh, you know, savvy journalists wanted. Well, there was a uh, there was an opening because the longtime correspondent at the AP uh, decided to leave and uh, they wanted to have somebody on, at least temporarily, um, to fill his absence, to have a correspondent here. Uh, so he approached me and asked me because he knew uh, that I was working here as a journalist for local outlets, um, but writing in the English language. And he asked me if I'd be interested, and I said yes. So I joined up with them initially as a sort of a contractor or a, a temporary solution. And then finally they took me on staff uh, mm. last year. Local local publications in English. Yeah, that's actually... Um, I've, I've seen some of the... Like uh, Telex and Nene specifically. I guess you joined <laughs> the AP before Telex was a thing, but um, uh, Index before that, um, they they sometimes publish their more important stories in English. Do you think that that does find an audience uh, abroad? Like because if you have a news site, um, let's let's stick to like digital publishing for now. But um, if you have a news site that has a majority, like 99% of their output is in a language, and then all of a sudden they publish something in English. How does that reach people who wouldn't read that publication otherwise? I think we saw English language coverage of Hungary by local outlets. So you mentioned Index, Telex, and Nadenadenadenadenadenadenadenadenadenadenadenadenadenadenadenadenadenadenadenadenadenadenadenadenadenadenadenadenadenadenadenadenadenadenadenadenadenadenadenadenadenadenadenadenadenadenadenadenaden
earn you know a million new subscribers or readers, but to but to reach people who who might have be in a position to to be of use to to that given mm-hmm. outlet. But be- before um, you joined the AP, and when someone came to you, or did you pitch a story to publish in a Hungarian publication context? Was it ever like a consideration for you that okay, I'm gonna have to like sort of do this job with the knowledge that it's going to appear like I'm going to have an English article and above it and underneath there's going to be like 20 Hungarian ones. Was that ever like a consideration for you? Does it does it alter the way you work a story? Yes. Um, I think when you're writing for an international audience, which is presumably not Hungarian and doesn't have a lot of the um, cultural context and historical background and knowledge uh, of the really finer points and nuances of given topics or given stories, then you always do need to make things a bit more digestible. You need to add context, which you might not need to in a Hungarian language article. Uh, so, for example, in a Hungarian language article, you don't really need to get really deep into who, into who is Hernádi Zsolt or, or Mészáros Lőrinc. But in an English language article for an international audience, these people, these readers probably have no idea who that is. So you, you need to go go about it uh, anticipating the needs and the base of knowledge of your of your given audience. Do you think there's a growing familiarity with with the internal dealings of like Hungarian power politics now seeing that my impression is at least that um, the first time I um, I've met uh, people from like big global publications here to cover distinct stories was in I think it was 2011 when uh, when Magyar Garda was still like active, and there was still like the aftermath of the of the of the, of the horrible um, you know uh, serial homicides against the Roma people, and it was still very topical. And and you had people coming from the New York Times, from the Washington Post, and they were on the ground. They were going to to Mishkolc and and the surrounding villages to you know speak to the survivors. And um, I feel that and then. I've I've met a few of them, and then I've I've read the articles they put out. Or the one of them was actually a photojournalist, and I've seen the the essay they published. And uh, it's always yeah, it starts from very far away, right? Like you know, planet Earth, and then you sort of zoom in, find hunger in the map, and like that's how you set up the story. But in the past, <clears throat> let's say I don't know, four, five, six years, um, I think the frequency of uh, of mentioning, you know. Out of all the surrounding countries, Hungary has been under the spotlight a little bit more, no? So is, is is there a shift in how far do you have to start explaining the issues from? Or is it like, uh, I don't know. I think there is, I think there has been uh, a shift. Um, you're correct in saying that Hungary really draws uh, an outsized level of, of attention and interest on the international level, given its size and it's and it's, it's uh, economic power yeah, as well, yeah and its significance in you know the geopolitical uh world um and that has to do with the kind of governance uh the <laughs> experimental nature of of a lot of how uh the governing party has has ruled hungary in these last 12 years and so you know as time has gone on um international journalism and the international press has definitely forwarded a lot more resources to Hungary than I think it did previously. And as a result, readers around the world are more familiar, even if it's just sort of on a vague level, like that 
yeah, we have some basic idea about what's going on in Hungary. And I think that's that's an increasing, you know, sort of an accelerating phenomenon as uh, not just in Europe, but the United States is really uh, focusing a lot on, on Hungary nowadays. You probably noticed that, uh, like last summer, Tucker Carlson from Fox News has the biggest cable news show in the United States, the most watched. It's a, he's a huge cultural phenomenon. He came here and broadcast from here, which then in turn, you know, sparked a lot of reactions uh, in the liberal sphere of the American media. And then um, The Daily Show just did a did a piece on a long piece on Hungary before the election. This American Life, a very popular American uh, podcast, did the same. So you can really see that uh, that uh, unlikely as it may seem, there are a lot of Americans, you know, from across the ocean who are who are who are interested in what's going on here and 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 hearing more about it. As someone who's been here for uh, a long time now, uh, and you see these pieces that are mostly, I guess, produced with the help of local fixers, and 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 then you have you might have someone, you know, they consult before they make them, but but the fact is still that someone from overseas comes here, spends some amount of time but not too much time and puts together a piece and then publishes it how well do you think it actually represents the hungry you know and because you know you're you're from the same you're a product of the same cultural context as those people and you you even have the same job to some degree so do you think there's a they did a good job of covering it even with the uh, you know there's a filter there you know Tucker Carlson's going to have a very different take on the exact same reality than this American life or the daily show would I mean, I don't want to cast aspersions or be too critical of the work that foreign correspondents do because it's a really difficult job to be sort of parachuted into a, a context which you're not particularly familiar with. Um, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of research uh, and a lot of learning. And I think that by and large, foreign correspondents uh, do a very good job of doing their due diligence and making sure that they get multiple perspectives and talk to the appropriate people. On the other hand, it's just sort of the nature of that kind of reporting that, yes, you are going to be lacking a lot of that uh, finer context and and, uh, deeper historical knowledge, and that will influence the way that you tell a story. But that said, it's also part of the nature of of writing about a quote-unquote foreign place from the perspective of, of, of a lot of the readers. Because as I mentioned before, you do have to sort of boil it down to, to the to the main points, you know, uh, in order to get into all of the history about why something is this way. What were the what were the preceding events that that led to the circumstance? When you've only got twelve hundred words in an article, you know, it's it's impossible to do. So it's on one hand, you know, it's kind of a deficiency of the of the of the medium, but on the other hand, it's sort of a necessity of the medium as well to keep to keep things in big picture terms without getting too lost in the in the weeds. I guess in some ways your job is a bit more difficult because um, most of, let's say, entertainment media wears its, um, its alliances on its sleeve. So the expectation is already there that Tucker Carlson might be talking about how family centric which is we and i don't know it's like a it's like a cover term for many many other things um uh, this place is and the daily show might might actually try and you know observe the flip side of it um and you have to be very 
like let's, let's say objective but neutral to the point where it has to be a reliable news source for both of these right like there there would be a place where both of these um, shows would hold up the AP reporting and they read the exact same sentences as something to you know bolster their own messaging and I don't think you can have a messaging behind what's you know what happened and they and then you know what why it matters i guess why it matters is the only place where you have some kind of room for movement to you know shape yeah. the discourse i think that i mean that's kind of part of what a lot of news agencies do uh to you know distinct from from newspapers who you know they have they have their own editorial values and they and they have <clears throat> sort of moral and political values a lot of them and even if it's not entertainment, you know, like a cable news show, uh, a newspaper has a certain point of view often and a, and a worldview. Um, but the agencies, and I think AP in particular, really strive to uh, to continue and carry on this old journalistic journalistic tradition of impartiality, um, of balance, and of fairness, and presenting all relevant. Uh, perspectives on any given issue. And I think that's really important that, this sh that there should be uh, this kind of journalism and this kind of reporting in the 21st century, because as you know, um, polariza political polarization and polarization within uh, cultural polarization, these are all really seeping into, uh, into the news. And, uh, and they create these sort of self-sustaining, you know, echo chambers and, and uh, feedback loops where, where people read what they want to read. Um, and that's fine. I mean, I think there's room for that in the world as well. But it's really important that there be um, sources of information, which continue to have the trust of people on all sides. And I think you're correct in that way, that uh, Tucker Carlson would read an AP article just the same as a producer working at the Daily Show would read the AP. And I think that's a, a hugely valuable um, asset to have and uh, and I think it's really good for society and I think we need more <laughs> more of that so we're we're waddling into more like a <laughs> philosophical territory here but isn't it an inherent weakness of the the way a news agency I guess um, who are active here like Reuters or the AFP who have this um, they have to wear this burden of we have to be we have to vet our sources we have to be sure before we put something out and everyone else who partially relies on this type of reporting to put out their content right we call it content now we don't call it anything else it's just it's a, it's a content it's mm -hmm. like stuff in a bag essentially that people consume it's it's kind of like bizarre how we change the naming around what people do what used to be just watching the nine o'clock news is now just consuming content mm -hmm. Um, it's quite a side, side topic. But um, you guys are like a bit sandbagged by this, no? Because everyone else can just throw stuff at the wall, see what sticks. And, well, yeah, if it was, you know, outside the realm of actual reality, then, you know, we'll just lawyer up and settle it through a lawsuit. But there is no, I guess there's no <clears throat> inherent professional, like, code any longer to say that, uh, the goal isn't to inform; the goal is to entertain. And you guys have you guys are a bit slower, no? Like, and 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 the the whole spreading of misinformation is one thing, but the thing that 
It's just getting stuff through the line because you're, you know, doing your due diligence is going to make you a little bit slower than everyone else who's just trying to, you know, get the impressions. And I guess the whole core philosophy of a news agency is you don't do it for the impressions. You don't live or die by did we get enough hits this month? We just do it because it's it's our job to inform. That's that's correct. That is our job. Uh, on the other hand, you know, even non-agency uh, media outlets, any good newspaper or even news site, which is really worth <laughs> worth their salt, uh, does have these editorial standards. Um, but you're right. A lot don't. A lot of people, as you said, they throw something against the wall and see what sticks. And if it turns out to be inaccurate, then, well, sorry, we'll try to do better next time. But in terms of I mean, I get your point that that uh, it might seem that that would slow us down, that we're not going to put something out there. We're not going to be the one to break this story if it's a rumor that we can't confirm. But I don't think that's necessarily always true, at least for stories that are really important, because, I mean, another uh, characteristic of, of of news agencies is, you know, speed speed and accuracy are are. Um, paramount news values. Uh, so the agencies are really expected to to have things out there first, but they must be accurate. So, I mean, that's just the added <laughs> caveat. And uh, so therefore, I don't think it really uh, puts up any, any barricades uh, to us to being to, to, to be kind of first on the scene and to have uh, a story out, you know, rapidly. Um, on the other hand, I think people, readers, you know, they're not stupid. And even people who like to read what they like to read. They like to read what they what they agree with. I think even then they they know the difference between something which is um, rumor, which is conjecture, which is hypothetical, and something which has been properly vetted and can be treated as a fact. And even though they might continue to consume those things, which that that don't go through that rigorous process of fact checking and, and vetting, they still know somewhere that well. I'm going to take this with this amount of salt. And then when I read something which, like the AP or a newspaper that they trust, then they'll say, okay, this is probably accurate. This is probably the facts. Yeah, but I guess the um, newspapers with editorial standards um, are the ones that could afford to stay above water in the past 10 years. So you have local news, which is on drastic decline for one reason or the other, um, in, in Hungary, it's a different reason than in the States. Uh, but I, I, I see that there's a trend of um, people used to be very informed about, you know, what's going on in the neighborhoods. Is there a new sports center? Did the market get renovation, etc.? And those were also provided by journalists just the same who would go out there, you know, maybe talk to the people building the thing or talk to the local councilman, get a quote, etc. And because those newspapers are getting increasingly centralized and you have less and less people on the ground, um, that kind of information is still out there. It just reaches people through source, uh, like channels of information that that are not controlled or, or fact-checked in, in any way. So if Facebook. Yeah, exactly. Like, and, and, and those are groups where you have moderation, which is, which is an ironic term because usually it's the inverse of moderation. It is extremes, wall to wall, you know, screaming matches over you know whose dog you know left their um, their feces on whose front lawn, and um, 
And we think uh, there's it. The whole thing about like uh, editorial standards is that you have you well you don't have to have, but it organically comes from having a newsroom and having someone who is liable for the stuff they put out. And and even though social media gave a lot of people a lot of like amplified voices that I would agree to some extent needed to be heard. At the same time, it also concentrates power in the hands of of these um, group or forum or subreddit, whatever whatever you you know visit, moderators who have who are essentially their role should be the janitor who just deletes stuff that is not relevant to the discussion, but end up being these mini you know citizen cane type of I'm gonna you know twist the arm of this local debate to the point where it satisfies my urges and I don't know if there's an answer to that because a big global news agency like the Associated Press can do its best to be factual about what's going on in Congress what's going on in Ukraine if you can you know see through the shroud that is you know Chinese internal politics then maybe that but you won't be able to say like, okay, the Buddha swimming pool has a leakage and who's going to fix it? It was renovated by taxpayer money. You need to have someone who's like a local citizen and was savvy enough to get the court papers or something. And it rarely happens anymore because you don't have local newspapers like that. Yeah. And that's part of a, as you said, a, a an ongoing process, which has been happening for for coming up close to two decades now or more. And the reasons, again, are quite complicated, but I think the internet has a lot to do with it um, and the changing nature of the economic structures around media, um, but also a changing world, I think, in a, in a globalizing world, uh, one full of, uh, new kinds of new kinds of dangers, um, you know, wars on the horizon, climate change. Um, I think people are increasingly interested in things outside of their their small neighborhood and so when you're when when people are not at peace and they sense trouble in the waters then they're they have more of an appetite for for things which seem like they're bigger stories going on outside rather than their local affairs so i think that's also just kind of a a nature of our world in the 21st century um but i will say that in hungary uh, you know there's a lot of hay made about uh, the state of of Hungarian media, of media freedom uh, in the country. But if you're a consumer of Hungarian language media, I think you will agree that uh, local independent media, usually in the online space, does a really good job of, uh, of really digging deep into these kinds of stories, even something like what there's a leak in the Budersh uh, swimming pool and and just to state, there isn't one that's like I just gave an example. So oh, my, don't I, be afraid. Yes, my my humblest respects to the people of Budapest and their swimming pool. Yeah, um, but you know these sorts of stories do appear on on independent uh, digital outlets in Hungary, and I think that that's a real testament to the culture of independent journalism that continues to thrive in that sense uh, in Hungary, because you'll see a lot of headlines every day about uh, local matters of interest. They might not be hyper-local uh, always, but uh, but there are serious efforts made to get into these smaller uh, kinds of stories, which are of public interest, even in the countryside. Um, so I've got a lot of respect for, for Hungarian journalists who are doing that kind of work, because again, as somebody who is covering the country for the international press, 
Um, I can't really get into most of those kinds of stories, but but reading those helps me a lot to 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 have a better idea of what kind of <laughs> what kind of place I'm living in. What are the what are the trends which are occurring? What are the conditions in which people are living? What are the problems that people are facing? And so. Uh, yeah, I've got I've got a lot of appreciation for the people who are out there doing that kind of local, semi-local reporting. Do you ever <clears throat> do you ever get uh, tipped off to something that you have to say like, this is a wild story, but it's not it's it's not what 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 my employer would want to want me to file. I think that there are. Let let me just refine the question. Like, is there like a economy of scale that, that there's like there's an entry point for you to start working on a story that has to be it has to have implications over a certain size generally it has to be it has to have implications over a certain size generally speaking i think so unless we're talking about a feature story which is um more of a story for a story's sake something enjoyable and interesting to read which will of course have have relevance cultural or or maybe some broader political relevance but is also just a nice a nice uh, an interesting thing to read when it comes to news stories yes there is there is a bit of an economy of scale there's a uh, a level of hyper locality um which unfortunately is really not going to pass the the threshold for being of international significance And so you can't really get into that unless you can draw it into some broader trend um, internationally, if possible, and even if not, uh, then then locally or nationally um, to be able to get past that that threshold and make it a really relevant uh, story to tell. But that means that you're a little bit of a gatekeeper, no? In that sense, or I guess maybe maybe your your uh, your bureau chief or your editor might might be even more of a gatekeeper but it's essentially you also act as a filter as to what becomes that's maybe saying it's international news it's a bit pompous but at the same time you do still have a responsibility to say that i'm going to put this out there to effective the, the decision makers one but two maybe it's going to be carried this this story will be carried to you know very far reaches of the globe as opposed to if I say no to this then you know it's off the table well that's what they mean when they talk about uh, news judgment um, and news values something that you study if you study journalism um, and in that sense yes uh, often news organizations or individual journalists do act as as gatekeepers in a sense because they decide what stories they're going to tell and, and make a determination of whether uh, they're relevant, whether they're important and impactful. Um, but that's a part of the profession, making that, having that news judgment uh, and be being able to decide, yes, this, this, this story is of relevance. Um, this is going to have an impact on people's lives or the stories have the, the events are having an impact on people's lives. And that's the point, you know, the point is to inform and to, uh, and to um, create the kind of, impact which can if there's a problem creating that impact can can contribute to processes which set out to solve that problem i guess um we've been discussing at least in my mind uh mostly like written stories 
right? Like um, filing filing stuff that is, you went after it, you got the quotes, <clears throat> you typed it up, you even said that you have maybe, you know, 1,200 characters to write something or words. Um, but uh, I guess there is a generation coming up now where if it's, if they are reading it already, then that's already, they're dedicated to putting in the effort of, of reading that story. And um, I don't know how um, something like an old school news agency can say like, okay, we're going to be looking at how um, we're going to produce stories that can be then packaged by, I guess, the actual news outlet itself um, to reach a generation where who are not going to be skimming the front page of, I don't know, um, the BBC or the LA Times looking for written stories to read and say, okay, that's interesting because I think the whole, the, the, the news portal of, of old, let's say, is a format that just mimics the broadsheet paper, right? You have like big headlines, smaller headlines and like, you know, sports section, etc. But that's not how um, information reaches people to a large degree, like even outside of social media, it's like the the whole the whole format of um, you know like the 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 serialized television is also something that is no longer something that you need to you know wait every Monday at seven for The Simpsons to come on. Uh, it's just I don't know if if this is a challenge <clears throat> or if it's being considered at all, or is this just okay? We're just gonna soldier on, put out our stories, and and see what the actual outlets who have to deal with you know getting advertisers through the door deal with it. The Simpsons was on Thursday where I came from, but maybe it was different here. It wasn't. I, I believe it was Mondays on on the old. Uh, it's now defunct. TV three who first put it on, and they also had NBA. They were very like, yay, American culture. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I think that um, all all news papers, news organizations are aware that that the way that people consume information is is changing and a lot of them have made major changes themselves to how they produce the news in what format um, how they promote it um, but again I think there's a distinction to be made between uh, news agencies and individual newspapers uh, and for the news agencies I think the of course they're evolving as well you know there's always new new ideas and new ways of of, of getting stories out there um, so there's innovation definitely within uh, within news agencies as well, but but not to the degree that you might find at an online news site, at a, at a news portal, as you said, or, or even at a print broadsheet paper. Um, and I think that is the logic that, okay, the world is changing, the way that people consume information is changing, but what doesn't change is the importance of going through those old tried and true uh, methods of reporting, of fact-checking, of vetting, and and uh, of gaining context, placing stories in context, like these are these are really old news values. I mean, uh, the AP is is over 150 years old. These other agencies have been around a long time. These are traditions in a sense, but they're also they're also values which I think stand the test of time, as cheesy as it may sound. And carrying those forward while making changes which adapt and, and react to, to changes in the way that people consume media, um, but keeping those values there and, and the way that you do your job, I think, remains the same. And I think it's really important that it, that it be that way. Yeah, and on the technical side, in defense of text, it consumes the least amount of data. 
So if, you, if someone has to file a report from the Himalayas, they can just find the tiniest, weakest of satellite signals and your, and your you know, 400 word story is still going to go through. T try that with like a 20 minute video. It's good for the environment too. Protects the servers. Yeah. the heat down. Yeah, less electricity. <laughs> well, I, I think the good people of YouTube uploading, you know, 3,000 years of, <laughs> of vlogs in one second uh, are doing everything they can to counterbalance the... <laughs> And the, the greenness of uh, wiring text over. I guess, um, I, I don't know if you can uh, actually, you know, shed some light on this, but is there uh, increasing demand for this type of old school new JS service? Does, does the, I don't know, I, I'm guessing you don't, you know, you don't work for, uh, you know, accounts receivable at the AP, but is there anything, do you, do you see that there is more more people come knocking and say we would want the service of the Associated Press to bolster our operation, or is that that that's not a consideration? It's just going to keep going no matter what. I don't know because the thing is that we've been making the distinction between a news outlet and a news agency for the past good forty minutes, but it's still um, to some extent, depending on which one, a commercial operation. So there has to be implications to the business model if there's less and less demand for this type of very accurate factual reporting. Um, you're right. I don't really see deeply into the the accounting side of things because I'm a reporter. But um, I think that that I think that well, and I'll also add that AP is a nonprofit organization, so that really shields shields the organization from a lot of the the dangers and the implications of a, of a really commercial-based uh, mode of production um, because we don't need uh, to be sensationalistic to get more clicks and to to garner more ads and things like this so we're able to work to not quite the degree of commercial consideration that a lot of other outlets uh, are forced to um, but in terms of whether there's still demand for this, I would say yes, absolutely. Again, as I said, I think people are not stupid. They they recognize when they're reading or watching something which they see is is um, promoting a, a particular point of view, and that's fine. But at the end of the day, I think people are still uh, still have faith in the existence of something, uh, the existence of truth the existence of something that is the closest approximation of truth that you can possibly achieve through diligent uh, reporting and fact-checking. And I think that that will always be something that people are, are craving for. Um, and that brings up all sorts of other questions. You know, a lot of people have said we're living in the post-truth era. There's so much disinformation. People are so willing to, <clears throat> to spread lies deliberately or to distort. Um, and that's a, that's a serious issue. It's a serious problem, and it's it's, it's very real. Um, on the other hand, I think that there are, there are people who uh, who do believe in the existence of of truth and believe in those modes, uh, those tactics which journalists use to to tease out that that truth and to and to present it in a credible way. Do you think this um, this has seen a decline? Because you say that um, you know people are not stupid and that they will seek out the truth, but I feel more and more people seek comfort. And when it coincides with the truth, then great. But if it doesn't, then uh, some, you know, 
a lot of people would just see either they just completely check out and they don't even read hard news as it is. I guess um, I feel like sports sections are one of these uh, safe havens of you can read about all the things going on in the world. Most of it is not going to be, you know, all sunshine and rainbows. And then you get to the back of the paper and then, okay, baseball. <laughs> and it sort of exists in a vacuum. And even, even there, we've seen in the past um, few years that first, you know, the NFL players taking a knee and then the whole NBA debacle with China, it's, it's sort of like seeping in. Uh, I don't know how, um, there's, and, and especially, I guess, <laughs> one of the reasons why Hungary is in the news so much is that there's there's very little there, there are very few corners of of the news landscape where you can hide from the reality of you know you want to enjoy the champions league you know guess who was the main sponsor of champions league i'm not even gonna you know go find out if you're listening and it's like um and you know you like watching formula one same thing just you know you're one google search away from some really not racing <laughs> type of content and i think um there's no uh there's no hiding from the fact that that all of these things are are influenced by mostly business decisions which are done in not the best of consciences i guess um but uh is there any kind of um and i want to slowly lead into this type of uh question where was there ever a time where you felt that okay i could really you know step on you know step on the gas here and 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 get get the story to the wall and, and get this guy in the crosshair or, or lady, whoever, um, because they're up to no good. But you're like, no, I must uphold journalistic standards. Not not in the sense that you, you know, you give an opinion, but it's, you know, you have a feeling, you have a hunch, but it's unconfirmed and you see their dealings and you have, you have like 75% of, okay, we can nail this person and then say that they're committing fraud or they're being, you know, taking blood money as a sponsor of an organization or I'm just, you know, throwing <laughs> throwing stuff at the wall and see what sticks but um is there was there a time where you had to like pull back because you said like okay i know i have it, it, it you know you can feel it in your bones but it's like okay i'm gonna have to you know cut the parachute and just let the story go well every time unless unless <laughs> uh unless it can be adequately proved um so yeah, if, I mean, if there's any questions or any gaps in reporting, then yeah, it doesn't go out. And it, it just means that you haven't done th enough reporting yet. If you feel like it's still not quite there, um, it's mostly there, you know, you can feel it, but, uh, but you can't prove it, um, then it's not ready. And I think, uh, and that goes back to the difference between various news organizations that we were talking about earlier. There's places where you'd be like, okay, that's probably good enough. You know, people can make their own inferences. Um, you know, there's reasonable uh, reasons to suspect that this is what's happening. This person is doing this. So we'll let people decide for themselves. But, but when you're really trying to prove something, you have a responsibility, uh, not just to the readers, but to the to the subjects that you're reporting on to make sure that it's it's complete it's completely reported story and, and, and unless it is it's irresponsible to to put it out there mm. and do you ever feel um disappointed when you've done the reporting and it's clear as day i'm gonna make uh for example let's say we know the humanitarian catastrophe that is the next world cup 
um, and how those stadiums are being built. Yet, you, I, I know that when the matches roll around, there is going to be an audience, an audience who is mostly traveling from countries where there was reporting on this. They're not coming from the countries where this was, you know, hush-hushed. And they're still going to buy tickets and they're still going to watch the games and they're still going to enjoy themselves. And a lot of people are going to watch on television, the same people who read the news about how those stadiums were built. Um, I'm not trying to imply that it's all in vain, but uh, do you think there's... I feel there's too many... I, I can be opinionated on the show, so... <laughs> um, uh, that it's... it's you know, it's a bit like, okay, we did it, we told you, and you still watch. Is there any kind of um, anything that can be done? Or I'm not going to ask if you're disappointed, because then you would, you would be, I would be, I would be dragging you in with my opinionated takes. So, you know, your best neutral answer. <laughs> well, I think uh, you're talking about cynicism in a way, um, where where you see that uh, despite the wide availability of information on given subjects, it seems like things don't really tend to change. And I, I definitely see that that's a, a reason for frustration for a lot of people, for a lot of journalists as well. But I kind of choose to look at it like in a, if we could, if we could sort of transport ourselves into that, into a, a different dimension where that reporting didn't get done, then the results would be different. We'd be living in a in a different world, even if it didn't have the kinds of impact or the consequences like people decided to boycott the 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 World Cup um, that that you would expect. Um, you still don't know what would have happened if that reporting hadn't been done. And I think that you know history is a is a chaotic culmination of of countless infinite events, big and small. And as you go through time, you know, that reporting, for example, on, on how the stadiums for the World Cup are being built, it might not cancel the World Cup. But, um, you know, that kind of reporting definitely gets people talking within FIFA or, 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 or elsewhere about how are we going to do things in the future? What are our vulnerabilities? What are our responsibilities? Our, our um, you know, our weak points? And... And I think that we'll never know exactly, we'll never have a really clear picture of exactly how all of this uh, reporting impacted uh, the continuation of events. But I think you have to believe that it definitely did. Everything affects everything in some way, sort of a chaos theory uh, <laughs> uh, approach to journalism. And I, think, uh, and I think you have to look at it that way, that, that over time, you know, history moves slowly. It's a very difficult thing to get turned around, um, but ultimately things do move in one direction or another, and I think that uh, people being informed is something which, which helps push that huge elephant <laughs> around. What do you think the, um, the, the let's say most impactful, but do you, do you remember anything that you read? Uh, I guess uh, Harmin Sotpont who also puts out some um, English content uh, whenever they have the capacity that you read about um, Hungary or the region that you thought, okay, this is it. This is something that would coincide with your chaos theory. This is something that can make an impact. I guess every single bit of news can be like, you know, a butterfly <laughs> flapping its wing once. But but that was like, you were 
it's one thing that okay the reporting in this is fantastic wow i don't even know how they got you know to the bottom of it but the other thing is you read it and it's like okay this this surely has to make an impact do you have like any memorable stories i think a lot of the reporting that they have done um has been really impactful and of great interest and again kind of going back to what we were talking about at the beginning about english language content being put out by hungarian outlets as far as i know they release all of their articles sooner or later in english and i think that, that impact goes way beyond the borders of of hungary um the reporting that they did on pegasus um on on the hungarian government's ties to russia um some of these chinese issues um these all had an impact in hungary i think um but i think outside of hungary also they had a major impact they helped to inform um hungary's allies in europe and officials in the european union um embassy staff etc uh what's going on in the country how to regard uh the events that are taking place and then you can really see uh the effects of this reporting maybe not right at that moment but for example in a in a moment of crisis like a war um being launched in in Ukraine and in, in the neighboring country and then all of that previously accumulated knowledge about you know how a given government has positioned itself vis-a-vis -vis another one what kinds of business deals and agreements have been made between this country and that country helps place into context you know how things are going to move forward in a in a in a in a more tense moment like this one so i think that kind of reporting it sticks in people's heads even if if you don't see immediate uh changes or immediate backlash or you know a major shift um it that knowledge is still out there and and it and it helps to inform people's perspectives on on how things move in the future do you think you have um an advantage working for the AP and not being a Hungarian journalist uh when you try and let's say you call if this is a trade secret you know we can just you know skip next question whatever but uh let's say you have to call a government agency or uh you know a public elected official no matter you know which party and you know you don't pick up the phone and say you know I'm I'm Justin from the NDA I'm Justin from the AP does it does it does it carry weight do you feel like you gain access better because not only is it a foreign media outlet which is now being a little bit demonized i guess in the past couple of years but sorry it's not an outlet see that's that's the <laughs> key distinction but um it's a it's a reporter from abroad right it's it's someone who can be presented something i don't know if 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 you ever felt that you're being a bit like weaponized yourself because oh here's someone i can explain my side of the story and because you know they're from far away not knowing that you might have been in the country for you know more than a decade I do think that there is a a certain amount of privilege which comes for from working for a larger organization or one with a big name or or even one from abroad. I think that a lot of challenges that Hungarian journalists face I don't necessarily have to face, but then if we're talking about access like it's it's challenging for for all of us. Um but if somebody is willing to give their side of the story they feel like it's in their interest to give their side of the story and to get it out there then definitely the you know the reach of a larger news organization makes 
makes that all the more appealing. Um, and that's often the case, you know, in the c civilian population, people who, who want their story to be told. It's often true, you know, in the political opposition, because it's really in their interest, first and foremost, to have their side of the story told. Um, but then even, you know, with, with uh, governing politicians or a governing party, there are situations in which perhaps they would talk to me, but, but maybe not to somebody from or something like this. Um, but that's not always the case. And I think, you know, of course, there is a degree of privilege, but it's not, uh, it's not a golden ticket that, that lays out a, you know, an easy road ahead of you. And I guess on the flip side, there are stories that you might never get to because you have, even though I guess you've been <laughs> vastly you know, improving your network since you've been here, but, but there's always going to be a cutoff point, no, which you cannot see past it because you would need to have maybe, you know, went to school with someone there. Like when you arrive um, here, I guess you have to build from scratch wherever, whereas even someone who, you know, um, never thought about going into reporting already has a network of you know hundreds of people that they could reach out to even if they never thought about you know going after a story in their life yeah that's definitely true i mean um and that's why i respect local journalists so much is because they they are in possession of all kinds of uh, networks of affiliation and uh, and people that they know and you know inbuilt background knowledge and i think that's really important to mention that um, it's not really the case for me here. Like I don't use a fixer, for example, because I don't really need one. But uh, whenever there are international outlets which come to any country that they're not particularly familiar with, or maybe they don't speak the language, you know, the job of being a fixer, it's it's really like being a journalist. You're not just a, you know, a chaperone and, and a translator, but but often, you know, I've worked as a fixer in the past and and you have to know a lot of people. You have to know the right and the appropriate people to call who are going to, you know, make a meaningful contribution to a story. Um, it's a lot of organizing and scheduling and, and, uh, and, you know, helping, helping that journalist, uh, find the story and, and report it properly. And I think that's something that, you know, the international press has also been talking about recently, like, uh, with the war in Ukraine, there are so many Ukrainian journalists who are there helping the hundreds and hundreds of, of, uh, of foreign correspondents who are there to report, putting themselves in danger, you know, using their expertise and their familiarity with the, with the, with the country, with the situation on the ground and, and, and making it all possible. And I think that that's also worthy of a lot of, a lot of respect and appreciation. I guess, I guess that's a good, good thought to end on. So support your, support your local journalists. Um, and, uh, I guess the paper is not here anymore, but uh, I was supposed to give a shout out to uh, if you if you're paying taxes, uh, you should, yeah, you should offer your one percent uh, to Tilosh. You'll find all the necessary details on uh, Tilosh.hu, and um, yeah, so support your local journalists. They might be fixers for, <laughs> for for much bigger stories, or like the stories themselves stay the same size, but they reach bigger audiences one day. Um, so my guest has been. Uh, Justin Spike, this has been another successful episode of uh, Expat on Tilos Radio, Kilansvenpontharom. I'll play some music and then there'll be news uh, until uh, we'll see you in two weeks' time. And until then, take care and bye bye.
Társadalmi célú felhívás következik.